0: I didn't like that we were compartmentalized, and it was more about how we reacted. I wanted to be known for what I loved and believed to be true, not what I hated and thought to be false.
1: We're continuing to look this month at the evangelical tradition. And as we explored in the last release, identifying with this stream, or really any stream, doesn't necessarily mean we'll understand or embody the fullness and goodness of what it has to offer. To help dig through some of the gifts, strengths, challenges and abuses of this tradition, I had a really helpful conversation with the founder and president of Leadership Transformations, Steve Machia. Leadership Transformations, or LTI, is a bit of a sister organization to Renovare, and this year they're celebrating their 15th anniversary. You may know some of Steve's writings. His most recent titles include Crafting a Rule of Life and Broken and Whole, A Leader's Path to Spiritual Transformation. I was able to visit Steve and his wife, Ruth, Even stayed in their home, and he gave me a proper tour of Boston. I like Steve. He's a good friend, and he cares deeply about the church and the soul of leaders. I sort of think his years living in the increasingly secular Northeast has given him a really helpful, honest, and thoughtful picture of the state of Christianity in America. My name is Nathan Foster, and welcome to the Renovare
0: Podcast.
1: Steve, how are you?
0: I'm great, Nate. <laughs> how are you? Well.
1: <laughs> I'm glad we get to we get to talk again. Me too. Go.
0: Me too. I'm looking forward to this. Mm,
1: good. Tell me, what is it that you find helpful and appreciate about the evangelical stream?
0: A lot, um, for which I'm profoundly grateful. As an evangelical, um, I associate with this tradition and this stream. It's very much in my in my uh, background in my own ministry life. I, after serving at a church for eleven years, I was for fourteen years the president of what was done, the Evangelistic Association of New England, and. It's now called Vision New England, but for those 14 years, I was very much a part of the evangelical world. I was on the board of the NAE and serving on the executive committee and very much a part of the stream, if you will, and carrying on the leadership mantle of an evangelistic association of which Billy Graham was one of our heroes and uh, was one who came to Boston, a handful of times, and was a part of uh, co-founding the seminary that I graduated from, Gordon Conwell. So a lot of this stream is in my is in my bloodstream, if you will. It's it's a part of who I am, and I'm very very grateful for uh, this stream. I mean, I I love what Billy Graham did as a model of ministry in the modern day um his and i love what your dad said in stream's book about his fiscal integrity his cooperative evangelism the racial reconciliation that he did which pretty much was behind the scenes it was a very quiet part of the movement that he was leading um you know everything that billy Graham did was about evangelism if you didn't know that you were sort of a a rock rather than a, a real life person. So, <laughs> and then the training of itinerants worldwide. I mean, these are great, great contributions in our in our modern era that hearken back to the biblical text. And I love in the streams book as well that your dad talks about Peter as the as the model for the evangelical community, the proclaimer of the good news, um, the preacher. Pentecost leader, the rock of the church. I mean, very much uh, on the history, St. Augustine, you know, looking as far back as that. And this is a solid stream, a really, really solid stream and one that I would hope that we are grateful for, even though we may not embrace every aspect uh, of the stream today. So, yeah, I love the the faithful proclamation of the gospel, the priority of the scriptures, the the good theology that goes along with being people of the word, you know, proclaiming Jesus as Lord, and inviting men, women, young and old, all around the world to receive the love of Christ. I mean that that's pretty rock solid, and it's very much in in the mainstream of even the spiritual formation modern day movement. So. I think it's something we need to be paying attention to and something that we need to be to be very grateful for
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: so the contributions are many and I think as as leaders today uh, we have a lot to be a lot to be thankful for
1: what were some of the pieces? looking at the stream and kind of evangelical efforts and then also the um, attention to scripture and, and, and the attention to God continuing to speak. In terms of your own kind of religious upbringing or formation, what pieces in there um, were really helpful for you?
0: Well, I grew up in a very liberal congregational church where I knew about God. I was taught a lot about God. But it was an evangelical who came into that youth ministry when I was in high school, who actually said to us, "You can actually know God." So from the from the get go, for me, my conversion experience was very dramatic. Even though I was a churched, I was in a churched family. So from the beginning, it was just like, "Okay, so pray the sinner's prayer and receive the love of Christ and." Watch how your life is going to be transformed. So I would say from the beginning for me, it's been an important movement. And then going to a Christian college and then coming back to Gordon-Conwell, and being very much a part of this community that I'm still a part of today, very much um, my training, my education, my mentors, uh, the, the authors that I was reading and continue to read, the theologians, and then the practitioners, the missionary movement, you know, the worldwide evangelistic thrust of the gospel. And then I was on the NAE board, as I mentioned, you know, so very much a part of what is what's happening in the United States as it relates to the evangelical movement. So we looked at all that was good about it and all that was sour about it. And and even wrestled with, I personally wrestled with, you know, what, what do we do in politics or what are we doing in politics? Do we belong there? That ended up actually being um, a discouragement to me and kind of pulled me away from the movement a little bit because I thought we were just way too affiliated with the right and the red, you know? And it's just like, ah, there's a wider swath here for us to be listening to. And I didn't like that we were compartmentalized and that we were thrown into a particular you know, sense of, this is how we think. This is how we act. This is how we react. And it was more about how we reacted that became more definitive of us. I didn't like that. I wanted to be known for what I loved and believed to be true, not what I hated and thought to be false. So it was a real shaking time for me. Those I call those my middle years of ministry, my first third of ministry life was in a local church my second was in that parachurch movement with the evangelical world and my as the centerpiece then my third chapter of my ministry life has been in spiritual formation and leadership transformation so uh, my root systems matter but i've learned and grown a lot uh, since those early early days
1: you mentioned a little bit of it, but what do you think are some of the challenges of this tradition?
0: I think independence is probably the biggest challenge, and that is a big word with a lot of subplots to it. Okay. Uh, when you look back historically, when you look at ever since the Reformation, you know we've been we've been a people of protest. That's where protest tends. And we protest. We like to protest. So we have forty-five thousand denominations now worldwide because we're we're know-it-alls. Um, we we know better. Therefore, we're going to start something new because you just don't get it. And since you don't get it, I'm going to start something new, and I'm going to try to I'm going to try to bury you as a result. And we've we've had that mindset. The independent mindset that if i don't like what I see I'm gonna go start something new and going along with that you know in the evangel the modern evangelical movement has been all about strategy you know so we we had ten thousand at that crusade let's get to a hundred thousand right when we get to a hundred thousand let's make sure that we're pumping it worldwide into every television so you know what I'm saying it's Strategy can be good, but strategy taking to extreme means that we discard things like spirit-led discernment. I'm concerned about that. I don't like that. I think spirit-led discernment needs to be the big umbrella and strategies somewhere fit underneath it. And as evangelicals, we love strategy. We love bigger, better, bolder, new, next, now. And as fast as we possibly can get it, let's go for it, which has led to the parachurch movement. I mean, when you look, about, look at the modern-day parachurch movement, it was started by evangelicals. Catholics don't know what you're talking about when you say parachurch. Hmm. Um, liberal church doesn't know what you're talking about when you say parachurch. They don't know what you're talking about. Jews, they know combined Jewish philanthropy. They don't know what you're talking about. The modern day parachurch movement is an evangelical contribution, great contribution of which we are part. Renovari Leadership Transformations, Intervarsity Press, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, colleges, you know, that's all part of the the modern day evangelical movement. Uh, But as a result, we've we've developed this massive infrastructure the taxonomy of which takes pages to describe and now we compete with each other we want to be the bigger than the better you know the next we want to be first out we want to be you know get this thing done first and make it you know, so we we end up doing all the worldly things of strategy and competition raising money and building programs and getting butts and seats and dollars into into plates. And now what we do for parachurch is more than what we do for church. So it's it's the flip upside down thing that we have created in our independent go get them, strategize for bigger we have created this monster called the parachurch movement, of which there's great sides to it. But it comes out of that independent spirit. It comes out of that evangelistic thrust. It comes out of these roots that we're talking about today.
1: What do you think What do you think could be an answer, or some help in, in where things have gone?
0: Well, I'm a leader-centric leader. I think it's all about... Developing leaders that get it, that understand it, that can pray into it and can say, you know, really what we want more than anything is to become God's people, God's priorities lived up through us. Not man's greatest strategies, not man's greatest big ideas to become better and bolder and bigger than the rest. That's where we have to fight. And that's, a, that's an internal, that's a formation fight. That's a fight for the soul. So I really believe that leaders need to prioritize the care and nurture of their soul. That's why LTI was started in the first place. And when we care for the soul, we're going to care for compassion and grace and community and cooperation. That's what I love about what Billy Graham did. He brought denominations together around an evangelistic initiative that's one of the greatest contributions is multi-denominational unified um, we're a bunch of disunified entities today and i i still have a vision for you know john 17 being lived out in this day and age that we actually pray with jesus for the unity of the people of god that that i think is what we need to be prioritizing so when you when you are doing great, I need to celebrate with you your greatness. And when you're having a hard day, I need to give everything up that I'm prioritizing over here and run your direction to come alongside you.
1: Right. Uh, this fits individually, relationally, but also institutional relationally, right? Right. I I wrote about this, uh, just kind of an offhanded joke of sorts of, why don't we pray for the church down the street, the one that we quietly compete against.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Pray for their good. (laughs) Pray for their betterment. Yeah. Maybe even bigger than us, better than us, doing more things than us. Yeah. We don't pray that way. We simply don't pray that way.
1: Steve, this is 15 years, uh, almost 16 of LTI. Share with me a little, I mean, I think you're saying it, but your, your attention or awareness of the importance of leaders and unification. Is that what birthed the starting of the organization?
0: Yeah, I mean, the organization began primarily because God's God's call on my life. Um, he, he woke me up in the middle of the night in a dream, hasn't spoken to me that clearly or specifically since or before, but that was a dramatic moment for me of which I will never forget and has caused me um, uh, nothing but a total commitment to fulfilling that dream for the rest of my life. And basically the essence of that dream was that Leaders need help. Leaders need to be reminded that their soul matters more than their productivity, more than their effectiveness, more than their success. Um, their soul matters. Matters to the to the heart of God. And so, for the past almost sixteen years now, we have been coming alongside leaders and teams to help them prioritize the care and nurture of their soul, out of which. They discern the will and the way of God together, uh, individually and as communities, as teams. So we really feel that we need to press the pause button long enough to listen attentively to the voice of God so that what we're responding to is God's priorities for us, not our biggest, best, brightest ideas. But to get leaders and teams to do that is, is not easy. As you probably have seen yourself, you know we we like being in charge. We like being in the limelight. We like being, you know, successful. And success is is a goddess. We need to be careful of. And faithfulness is what our priority needs to be. Like in Hebrews eleven, when you read that chapter in the Bible, at the end, you should be weeping with. Gratitude and joy that those who came before us lived by faith, not by sight. None of them saw the fulfillment of what they leaned into in their lifetime. So when we get so fixated on goals and objectives and accomplishments and success strategies and numbers, we lose sight of what I believe is the bigger priority. And I think you share that as well. It really matters that the leader is in right relationship with God. And doesn't mean perfect, but right. And right is honest, right is true, right is faithful, right is of integrity. And whether or not we are successes in the eyes of the world should not matter, but they do. And we talk about this evangelical stream, Very much, success has been a part of it. When we take it so seriously that we feel like we created it, that's when we get into trouble. What is an
1: answer to move away from success mind, a kind of business uh, matrix for achieving? What do people do?
0: They come back to community. They come back to each other. They come back to God. They come back to the joy of fellowship with him. They come back to the word of God and let the word speak. That's another big thing about the evangelical stream, the priority of the word. And our spirituality has to be based on the word. If it's based on anything else, then it's a flawed theology. So we come back to the word, the primary, primary thing that's been preserved for us it's it's an, unlike any other piece of literature. It's the only piece of literature that actually comes alive. It actually is a living text. So when you sit in the word and you meditate on it, you and you pray into the word, it it comes alive and it speaks and it speaks individually to people. We will we will take people on retreats over and over and over again. We'll give them the same text to go and spend an hour with, and every single time. Without exception, every individual has received something different from the exact same text. Now, for we preacher, teacher, author types, we don't necessarily like that because we're the ones that have the three point outline. We're the ones that have the big ideas. We're the ones that have the communication skills to then teach this thing called the Bible. But actually, when you receive it as a gift, it's a it's remarkable. God is God is a giver of unique. Gifts through that word. Yes, we can all study it and understand the the background and the history and the personalities and the main theological premises that we're getting from the text, but the particular gift of the text, that's for you, that's for me. And it's amazing because that's how much God loves us. So the evangelical stream has given us that great gift of the the priority of the word. And I'm firmly. Planted there, and all of my formation and all the work that we do with leaders and teams and congregations, let the word speak. Let the living word speak. Let let God speak in the fullness of what God wants to say to you. It's so good. I think that's it's not really an answer per se. I mean, it's it's a way of being.
1: Well, I th- I think what I'm catching in it, it in terms of. Uh, leaders when strategy, or success, achievement, and all this, well ultimately we're dehumanizing others and then in turn, kind of we dehumanize ourselves. But maybe a help I'm hearing is attention to community. Just that statement, your soul matters, the state of your soul matters to God, it matters in your ministry, um, and then and then that third piece of kind of living into, immersion into, into Scripture. All three of those, community, tending to your soul, and Scripture, that has nothing to do with strategy or achievement or even independence.
0: Right, unless it's the baseline of decision-making, then it has something to do with with strategy. Because uh, I, I, I'm i not against strategy. I'm against strategy that's higher than spirit-empowered discernment, because that is the big priority. Are we hearing from God together? And yeah. I believe we can. I believe we can. I've seen it over and over again. And I've seen the abuse of it. And I, I don't like the abuse of it. I bristle. I get uh, kind of frustrated (laughs) and that isn't a winning model um, to be frustrated so that's the work that God's doing in me uh, to soften me and approach Um, but my conviction is, is pretty firm on that regard
1: Notice these 15 years about leaders, and um, are there themes you're seeing, or trends, or uh, helps that you want to offer?
0: The big one is that the soul is the most neglected part of the person. We've seen that over and over and over again. And it's because the majority of our waking hours we're doing other things, we're not caring for our soul, we're not conscious of the need of our soul. So I think that's universal and we do see that particularly among leaders. I think the other thing about leaders is most of us really want to be as leaders. We want to be helpful. You know, we, we want to make we want to make some positive contributions and I think that's 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 good. That's kind. That's gracious of us. But to, not when it's to the neglect of um, the priority relationship with God. And so the spiritual practices, silence and solitude finding a spacious place to be with God. Um, Those are the things that we keep inviting leaders into. And what we have found universally is that once you enter that space, you realize how your soul has been craving it for a very, very long time. And that you don't want to continue along that pathway of neglect moving forward. So that's when we give handles on, okay, so... Let's talk about Sabbath rest. How how are you doing there? Uh, Let's talk about uh, grace, mercy, and forgiveness. How are you you doing there? Uh, Let's talk about true self versus false self. You know, the the identity that the world is giving you or the identity that God is giving you. Um, So once we enter into that spacious place of relating well with God, there's all sorts of, avenues or as we are seeing here streams in which we can enter into and hopefully invite a believer a leader into uh touching all of them at least having some experience in them in the contemplative in the social action in the um evangelical stream etc so yeah i see it all invitational not forced we're not forcing anybody into this but we're inviting and when people taste it we have seen a universal hunger because we're all in the same same place we just don't always all have an opportunity to enter into that space and identify it
1: do you see it working long term where um, leaders and folks in ministry are, are really able to make a, a shift from some of these destructive uh, patterns.
0: Yeah, that's the most exciting thing: is to be able to say, "Yeah, I can point to churches and ministries, and even our own, uh, and see how we've gone through some challenging times to get to the continual return to the real the the real priorities." But I've also seen, you know. I enough of the leaders that come and go and see it more as a fad and something. Okay. I've been there, done that. Okay. But yep. Done that 24 hour silence and solitude retreat. Boy, it was hard, miserable, but I did it sort of. Okay. So check it off the list. (laughs) We got to be careful of that. This is not a fad. This is not something to try as if it's a part of a big smorgasbord of the Christian experience. Our hope, our desire is that this becomes a lifestyle. So that Sabbath, for example, becomes a lifestyle. Not just a day of the week, but a real lifestyle. And and by the way, we would say that that is the turnkey to the deeper life. No Sabbath, no depth. Sabbath, depth. Because in and of itself, Sabbath is all about learning that you are not God. There's only one God. And he created you, he designed you. He has worked through you. What you've created with your hands comes directly from him. So we Sabbath in order to say, oh, yeah, forgot that. Thank you, God, for the way in which you allowed me to create with my hands this past week. And I want to rest with family and friends and the community of faith. I want to be replenished again to go back into my work, um, remembering that I'm God's. I am not God. I belong to God. So Sabbath is a big topic. We talk a lot about Sabbath. Um, it's hard to live, but it's a life changer, to be sure.
1: It, it is the forgotten commandment.
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's not only forgotten, it's neglected. We we, we can cling to all nine others, because they are pretty clear. But this one feels like an optional extra.
1: Especially if you work on Sunday mornings.
0: <laughs> Exactly.
1: We talk about that too.
0: You know, we talk about how to Sabbath with your people as a pastor, you know, and that's possible. That really is possible.
1: It's very helpful, Steve. And I'm really excited about the work you guys are doing and all the people that are being helped in that. Maybe as a a way to close uh, on this theme of Sabbath, is there a a Sabbath practice that you've been working with or you and Ruth have been doing that might be helpful for people to hear
0: well the one my kids make the most fun of is we like to play non-competitive scrabble on a sunday afternoon so it's just put the <laughs> put the board out there put the words out there the letters out there and we just sort of help each other fill the board but it's the one time of the week where we you know pop some popcorn enjoy just a leisurely hour or two have some eye to eye contact and some laughter and some sharing of story and you know helping each other just to fill up the board with words. That's that's been kind of a fun sort of Sabbath practice, but I know it's kind of corny, and um, my kids definitely think it's weird. But anyway, it has been it has been one of our one of our favorites. I like it. <laughs> Probably the most helpful for me is just being off of all technology sundown to sundown so it's a full 24-hour period depending on the season sundown may be five o'clock but some seasons it's seven or eight p.m. but i'll do it from saturday to sunday and just shut everything down and not be available um on technology which has been a real sabbath break for me which has allowed me to hold technology much looser um so for example you know i I'll often fast from technology during Lent or other seasons or at the new year or particular times when I just don't want to be encumbered by technology. So um, Sabbath allows me the freedom to just sort of let let stuff go. And I find that a big part of Sabbath is finding my freedom Hmm. and not living in bondage. I mean, that was the whole idea of the second retelling of the Ten Commandments is that God was saying, "Remember, you know, you were once in, in Egypt. You no longer are." And it's amazing that He's reminding them while He's telling the fourth commandment about Sabbath. Why? Well, because when we don't Sabbath, we are in bondage. We are we are being tied up as opposed to being freed up. So I like I like to be in a space of freedom and joy and spaciousness. And so uh, you got to work on that. You got to create that. That doesn't just happen by osmosis.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Thank you so much, Steve. Very helpful.
0: Thank you, Nate. Great to be with you today.
1: Well, there you have it. You can find out more about the good work of LTI and Steve's books at leadershiptransformations.com. LeadershipTransformations.com. They offer a number of helpful programs for leaders, including spiritual direction training and a spiritual leadership community. As always, thanks for listening and have a great week.